today is September the 8th, 2022, and you are listening to a historic breaking news podcast that you will want to save here from New Source One, Michiana. The Queen has died. If you are anybody that is at least over the age of five years old, you will now remember where you were at where you, when you got the news and where you got the news of the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Head of England since the early to mid-1950s, I believe 1953, is when she took power after her husband's passing. We come today to bring you the latest information and remembrances that we have for this very historic special podcast that we are presenting to you this afternoon. Here is the official announcement from Liz Trust, a prime minister who has only been in power for two whole days and two days ago met uh, then-living Queen Elizabeth II. Here is the official government announcement. We are all devastated by the news that we have just heard from Balmoral. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. Britain is the great country it is today because of her. She ascended the throne just after the Second World War. She championed the development of the Commonwealth from a small group of seven countries to a family of 56 nations spanning every continent of the world. We are now a modern, thriving, dynamic nation. Through thick and thin, Queen Elizabeth II provided us with the stability and the strength that we needed. She was the very spirit of Great Britain, and that spirit will endure. She has been our longest ever reigning monarch. It's an extraordinary achievement to have presided with such dignity and grace for 70 years. Her, her life of service stretched beyond most of our living memories. 
In return, she was loved and admired by the people in the United Kingdom and all around the world. She has been a personal inspiration to me and to many Britons. Her devotion to duty is an example to us all. Earlier this week, at 96, she remained determined to carry out her duties as she appointed me as her 15th Prime Minister. Throughout her life, she's visited more than 100 countries and she has touched the lives of millions around the world. In the difficult days ahead, we will come together with our friends across the United Kingdom, the Commonwealth and the world to celebrate her extraordinary lifetime of service. It is a day of great loss, but Queen Elizabeth II leaves a great legacy. Today, the crown passes, as it has done for more than a thousand years, to our new monarch, our new head of state, His Majesty, King Charles III. With the King's family, we mourn the loss of his mother. And as we mourn, we must come together as a people to support him, to help him bear the awesome responsibility that he now carries for us all. We offer him our loyalty and devotion, just as his mother devoted so much to so many for so long. And with the passing of the second Elizabethan age, we usher in a new era in the magnificent history of our great country, exactly as Her Majesty would have wished, by saying the words, God save the King. We have two memorials to share for you in this special historical podcast. The first one from Feature Story News, most likely pre-recorded in the event of her passing. And the second one, which is from Channel 4 News, courtesy of YouTube. From Feature Story News, I'm Simon Marks. I have in sincerity pledged myself to your service. I shall strive to be worthy of your trust. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Queen Elizabeth II, Britain's longest-serving monarch at the age of 96. She was speaking there at her coronation. She was not destined to reign when she was born in 1926, but the abdication of her uncle Edward VII meant her father became king. And aged just 14, the princess began her public duties with the Second World War serving as the backdrop for her first radio broadcast. We are trying to do all we can to help our gallant sailors, soldiers and airmen and to bear our own share of the danger and sadness of war. When her father died unexpectedly, she was in Kenya with her new husband, Prince Philip. The princess we knew as a girl and watched in the even growth of her stature comes back to meet her ministers as queen. Over the years, 15 separate prime ministers reported to her, starting with Winston Churchill. Nowhere else has parliamentary democracy demonstrated more effectively its adaptability to changing times. That was Australia in 1954, her first overseas trip of the 265 she would make. Escorted by Virginia's Governor Stanley, she arrives at the Jamestown Festival. And that was the United States in 1957. Eisenhower was president for her first visit, the first of 14 American leaders she would work alongside. 
1991, George Bush welcomed her to Washington, but the Americans forgot to provide a footstool for her opening address. Only her hat was visible behind the podium. Two days later in Congress, she got her own back. I do hope you can see me today from where you are. While there were periods of joy, there were also moments of despair. In 1992, the marriages of two of her children collapsed and there was a fire at Windsor Castle. It has turned out to be an annus horribilis. Five years later, the death in Paris of Diana, Princess of Wales, after a car accident. At the urging of Prime Minister Tony Blair, the Queen made an unprecedented broadcast to the nation. It is not easy to express a sense of loss, since the initial shock is often succeeded by a mixture of other feelings. She ruled during wars, economic hardship, the creation of a modern multicultural Britain, unrecognisable in many ways from the country in which she was born. In the final years of her life, the death of her husband, Prince Philip, at the age of 99, and a nation reeling from COVID-19. Better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. In 2002, the Queen had to face the loss of her sister, Princess Margaret, and the passing of the much-beloved Queen Mother. But then she marked her Golden Jubilee, the 50th anniversary of her accession to the throne. A decade later, her Diamond Jubilee, and then earlier this year, her Platinum Jubilee, celebrated around the world. Her eldest son, Charles, today taking on the mantle of King, paid tribute at a celebratory concert held outside the gates of Buckingham Palace. Your Majesty, Mummy, as a nation, this is our opportunity to thank you and my father for always being there for us and for making us proud to be British. The Queen will be mourned throughout the British Commonwealth, an institution for which she had limitless regard. While many of its members sought and won independence from direct British rule during her lifetime, she nevertheless was passionate about maintaining and expanding ties with Britain's former colonies. She spoke in 2018 at a Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting in London. Put simply, we are one of the world's great convening powers a global association of volunteers who believe in the tangible benefits that flow from exchanging ideas and experiences and respecting each other's point of view. And so begins a time of mourning and uncertainty in Britain. A huge state funeral lies ahead, then the coronation of Charles as the country's new king. Anyone under the age of 70 has never known another British monarch. And with today's announcement by Buckingham Palace, for many people, a long period of stability, continuity and certainty is coming to an end. From Feature Story News, Simon Marks reporting. In a way, I didn't have an apprenticeship. My father died much too young. And so it was all a very sudden kind of taking on and making the best job you can. It's a question of maturing in, into something that one's got used to doing and accepting the fact that here you are and, and it's your fate because I think continuity is very important. It is a, a job for life.
She was the longest serving monarch in British history. For 70 years, Queen Elizabeth was a figurehead for her country and the Commonwealth. She led the church, guided her family through often turbulent times, maintaining her dignity and composure. Her first instinct, always, to perform her duty. I think she must have been the most successful monarch we've ever had. To have reigned for so many years and to have kept this extraordinary institution going for so long and through such extraordinary changes, there she was the rock that the people could look up to. April the 21st, 1926, joy bells rang throughout the empire. The Royal Union was blessed. Princess Elizabeth was born. She was born a royal princess, but was not born to be queen. As the elder daughter of the Duke and Duchess of York, she was third in line to the throne. A seemingly idyllic, carefree and sheltered childhood with her younger sister, Margaret. But her destiny changed at a stroke when she was just 10. In 1936, her uncle, Edward VIII, abdicated from the throne in order to marry the divorcee, Wallace Simpson. I have found it impossible to discharge my duties as king without the help and support of the woman I love. The abdication crisis would remain a powerful influence throughout her life. Literally overnight, her world changed. Yes, her, her father was now king, and that certainly wasn't expected, but of course she immediately became his heir, next in line to the throne. and. Uh, by all accounts, Princess Margaret pipes up, oh, so you're gonna be queen uh, now? And, and Elizabeth said, well, yes, one day. And Margaret said, poor you. This was dramatic beyond all measure. I mean, this was the end, really, of a carefree childhood. With Elizabeth educated at home by tutors, the royal family was a cheerful emblem of Britishness as war drew near. It was during the Second World War, Princess Elizabeth gave her very first address to the nation. God will care for us and give us victory and peace. And when peace comes, remember, it will be for us, the children of today, to make the world of tomorrow a better and happier place. My sister is by my side, and we are both going to say goodnight to you. Come on, Margaret. Good night, children. Good night, and good luck to you all. During the war, the children were living at Windsor, but the king and queen stayed at Buckingham Palace. For the king and his family, war came to shatter the world for a second time. The king was untiring in his efforts to lend encouragement throughout the long years of struggle. He stayed in his capital. His home, indeed, was a target for the enemy. The princess was allowed to join the Auxiliary Territorial Service, the ATS, becoming the first woman in the royal family who was a full-time member of the armed forces. At an MT training centre, Princess Elizabeth, now a second subaltern in the ATS, has been on a three weeks course of instruction. On Victory Day in Europe, she appeared on the balcony of Buckingham Palace with her family and Winston Churchill. Today is Victory in Europe Day. She later danced on the streets with the crowds, pulling an officer's cap over her eyes so that nobody recognised her and Princess Margaret. 
I remember lines of unknown people linking arms and walking down Whitehall. All of us just swept along on a tide of happiness and relief. I think it was one of the most memorable nights of my life. During that time, she had been writing to a distant cousin, a young naval lieutenant, Prince Philip of Greece. As a midshipman, he'd taken part in the Battle of Cape Matapan. She met Philip Mountbatten when she was just 13 years old on a visit to Dartmouth Naval College. His uncle, Lord Mountbatten, encouraged the match. The palace wasn't happy. He had German ancestry, no property, and limited financial means. In July 1947, the engagement was announced. The royal family and Princess Elizabeth's fiancé have permitted these special film studies to be made in response to the rapidly mounting worldwide interest in the forthcoming royal wedding on the 20th of November in Westminster Abbey. Princess Elizabeth has won a special place in the hearts of the people of this country and of the Dominions. Their wedding later that year lifted the post-war gloom of austerity. And how they cheered the happy pair when they came out onto the balcony. Within a year, she gave birth to a son, Charles. Like her, he was brought up by nannies. For a brief period, the princess enjoyed her role as a naval wife, especially when Philip was posted to Malta but it was cut short by family tragedy. Once again, he seemed to be on his way back to health, and when he went to London Airport to say farewell to the princess and the duke, he appeared to be better than he had been for many weeks. The commentary belied the gravity of the king's condition. He was dying of lung cancer. It was January the 31st, 1952. This would be the last time they would see each other. Six days later, he was dead. The news reaching Elizabeth on safari in Kenya. When we were there, it was this funny little sort of three-room shack balanced on the top of this giant fig tree. She'd gone up that ladder as a princess and she came down the next morning very early as a queen because the king had died in the night. But I think we were the last people in the world to know. In June the following year, the coronation Hundreds of thousands of people lined the route to Westminster Abbey. And at the beginning of the television age, more than 20 million watched the pageant at home. Into the forecourt of the palace and through the gates comes the gilded coach, two centuries old, bearing the young queen to her crown. The huge wave of cheering travels with her pouring along the mall as though it would lift her and carry her on her way. solemnly promise and swear to govern the people of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. 
I solemnly promise so to do. began her reign with a six-month Commonwealth tour, the start of her biggest task, downsizing Britain's role in the world. She felt the Commonwealth should move away from ideas of empire and become more about friendship, equal rights between nations and races. She always felt strongly about it and being head of it. When she became monarch, the Commonwealth was eight nations, simply eight. And so the Queen and the Commonwealth, in a sense, they've grown up together. And you only have to see the Queen at a Commonwealth uh, meeting to realise the affinity that exists. Her value to Britain as a symbolic ambassador was incalculable. As well as hosting a few tyrants, Mugabe, Ceausescu, the Queen got to meet every American president bar Lyndon Johnson. She went riding with some, was winked at by others. You helped our nation celebrate its bicentennial in, 17, in 1976. You're near, she says. She gave me a look that only a mother could give a child. Her reign coincided with great social change. of the Silver Jubilee celebrations, the punk revolution, a time when some became less deferential about the monarchy, questioning its values. The Queen was delighted when Charles announced his engagement to Lady Diana Spencer, the public and the media entranced. I'm amazed that she's uh, been brave enough to take me on. <laughs> and I suppose in love. Of course. Whatever in love means. <laughs> the wedding was a global television event that put the monarchy's popularity at its peak. But increased media intrusion and the breakdown of the marriage, as with that of Andrew and Sarah Ferguson, was to profoundly wound the institution and shake the Queen herself. The 1990s really we see the clash of the monarchy and the media. The tabloid newspapers were you know, absolutely full of stories of the relationship breakdowns of Charles and Diana, Fergie and Andrew, the divorce of Princess Anne. It was all there. And this was really when the royal family imploded. And from being an asset, suddenly the royal family became toxic. 1992 was a year of crisis for the royal family. 
An intimate book was published about Diana's marriage to Charles. And then a fire broke out at the Queen's favourite home, Windsor Castle. It later cost £36 million to repair. And after public resistance to footing the bill, the Queen started to pay income tax for the first time. 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. In the words of one of my more sympathetic correspondents, it has turned out to be an annus horribilis. When Diana was killed in a car crash in Paris, criticism of the royal family fell on the Queen herself. She had received the news at Balmoral. The family set off for church as usual that Sunday morning. But at the service, there was no mention of Diana. At Buckingham Palace, in accordance with protocol, no flag flew at half-mast. The Queen was not in residence. She remained in Scotland with her bereaved grandchildren, provoking strong criticism. It was a difficult decision for them and, uh, as to how to handle it. The immediate thought was, how do we protect these two young boys that have just lost their mother? And um, the immediate instinct, and I, get, I think this is a very human thing, is to circle the wagons and look after those boys. And I think that was the instinct of the Queen, uh, Prince Philip, Prince Charles and all the family up at Balmoral. Under pressure to act and on advice from the Prime Minister, Tony Blair, the Queen returned to London and on the eve of the funeral gave the public what they wanted, a personal expression of grief. What I say to you now, as your queen and as a grandmother, I say from my heart. First, I want to pay tribute to Diana myself. She was an exceptional and gifted human being. In good times and bad, she never lost her capacity to smile and laugh, nor to inspire others with her warmth and kindness. I admired and respected her for her energy, and commitment to others, and especially for her devotion to her two boys. A few months later, the Queen and Prince Philip celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, and after a tough year, both uncharacteristically spoke openly about their lives together. Philip gave a rare insight into the qualities that made their royal marriage a happy union. Of course, after 50 years of experience, I find there's a great temptation to give advice. <laughs> the trouble is that no two marriages are quite alike. However, I think that the main lesson that we've learned is that tolerance is the one essential ingredient of any happy marriage. It may not be quite so important when things are going well, but it is absolutely vital when things get difficult. And uh, you can take it from me, that the Queen has the quality of tolerance and abundance. <laughs> In 2002, the Queen lost her only sibling, Princess Margaret. And then, just seven weeks later, her mother. But despite the sadness, it was also a landmark year for the Queen, as 2002 marked her golden jubilee, 50 years on the throne. The combination of events led to an upsurge in support for the monarchy. 
the affection for her at an all-time high when she became the unexpected star of the opening ceremony of the 2012 London Olympics. Good evening, Mr Bond. Good evening, Your Majesty. After initially opposing Charles marrying Camilla Parker Bowles, the Queen eventually came round to the idea. It was a symbolic moment for the royal family, a time of reconciliation and forgiveness. The weddings of the Queen's grandsons seemed to herald a more open and younger-looking monarchy. When Prince William married Kate Middleton from outside the aristocracy, And then when Harry married Meghan Markle, these were some of the most watched events ever. Meghan and Harry, it was going to be this great moment for the royal family in which the royal family was going to change really revolutionary and reflect really the multicultural society of Britain. And yet it didn't work out that way. Meghan blamed the brutal treatment she was given by the British tabloids and lack of support from the royal family for her and Prince Harry's decision to step away from royal duties. The Queen herself was forced to intervene to remove Prince Andrew from his public roles as the scandal that had started with his friendship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein grew. Turbulent times for the House of Windsor, just as Prince Philip, described by the Queen as her rock, was becoming ever more frail. I'm speaking to you at what I know is an increasingly challenging time. 2020 brought the biggest global crisis of her long reign. Over 150,000 people in the UK died with coronavirus. People locked down at home to avoid spreading infection. I want to thank everyone on the NHS frontline, as well as care workers and those carrying out essential roles who selflessly continue their day-to-day -day duties outside the home in support of us all. Just as she'd done 80 years before, she addressed the nation. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. When at the age of 99, the Duke of Edinburgh died, the Queen lost the husband who had helped steer the royal family through all its storms. COVID restrictions on who could attend his funeral, illustrating just how very much alone she now was. The Platinum Jubilee marked her remarkable 70 years as monarch amidst national celebrations. Your Majesty, Mummy, you have been there for us for these 70 years. You pledged to serve your whole life. You continue to deliver. Tea? 
And once again, she delivered a comic turn with a famous screen idol. I do hope you're having a lovely jubilee. At 96, she was seeming ever more frail and had to miss out on some of the long weekend of events. The core family surrounded her on the balcony, signalling a new streamlined monarchy of the future. In a rare documentary in 1992, she reflected upon her role. If you live in this sort of life, which people <laughs> don't very much, you live very much by tradition and by continuity. You have to sort of work out in your own mind the hard work and then what you enjoy in retrospect from it of the people you've met. Like the, the, the small soldier who was giving a gallantry award to him and I said that was a very brave thing to do. Oh, he said it was just the training. And I have a feeling that in the end, probably, the training is, is the answer to a great many things. You can do a lot if you're properly trained. And I hope I have been. And so we conclude this historic podcast that you want to save and share with your friends and family with the playing as the traditional handover has now occurred from the late Queen Elizabeth II to the new king, Prince, or sorry, now King Charles III. We now conclude with God save the king. Thank you so much for taking time to download and play this podcast. Please keep it for your historical records. This has been a production of New Source One, Michiana.